Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers, and welcome to episode 11 of season four of the podcast. If you're enjoying Historical Fiction Unpacked, will you please make sure you're following the podcast or subscribed to it, and also leave a star rating and review. That would be super helpful to other readers who are looking for podcasts like this one. If you'd like to join the conversation on Facebook, look for the Historical Fiction Unpacked podcast group and request to join. We'd love to have you there. You can also find Historical Fiction Unpacked on Instagram. And if you're interested in supporting the show with more than a review, then please check out the Patreon account and join our community on there. You can find it at patreon.com slash Treat. That's Allison with one L, A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T. Today, I'm going to share with you a conversation that I've been looking forward to sharing with you since October. Um, that's when I talked to Todd M. Johnson, and we had such a great conversation about his wonderful book, The Barrister and the Letter of Mark. Todd describes himself as an experienced trial attorney, a serious history buff, and a lover of most things English. Um, I could tell right away that his historical fiction novel was just chock full of history, and I also, I love this conversation because Todd turned it around and asked me questions, which was, um, you know, I've had a few guests do that from time to time. And I actually really, I think it helps mix up um, the episodes and make them a little different. So I really enjoyed that. And I hope that you guys enjoy hearing a little bit more about me and um, where my writing is going. But actually, just remember that this was recorded in October. So Todd talks about finishing up writing a book by December. He's not talking about December 2022. He's talking about December 2021. But you all know why I couldn't release. This was actually originally slated for December, and um, I just had to take a sabbatical. But I'm happy to be finally releasing this episode because you are going to really enjoy this conversation I had with Todd M. Johnson. Todd, I'm so glad you could join me on the show today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, your latest novel, The Barrister and the Letter of Mark, released on August 3rd. Can you tell me about this book? Sure. Uh, the plot is that a, um, a, a ship has arrived in the London Harbor on the Thames, mm-hmm. loaded with tea. And it's uh, a ship that, was, that had captured that tea from a French smuggler in the Indian Sea. But immediately upon arrival, the, uh, the entire crew is thrown into jail and the uh, cargo is confiscated, and they're tr- and they're uh, deemed to be pirates and placed on trial. And uh, piracy being a capital offense, they are all at risk, particularly the captain. And the captain's cousin, Lady Madeline Jameson, who is an who is a part owner of the vessel, uh, seeks out a barrister to try to defend them, saying that they were operating under what was called a letter of mark, which was permission from the crown to take. Uh, vessels on the high seas, in this case, particularly French smugglers. And uh, William Snopes is the barrister who reluctantly, because he typically doesn't get into these kinds of politically charged cases, he reluctantly takes on the case. And the story, the book is the story of uh, what happens as he investigates and tries the case. Right. So I think the opening scene in the book kind of tells us why um, the barrister 
doesn't like to take on cases like this, right? I mean, yes. William, William is, um, he defies his father. And I just read that scene recently and I just wondered, like, where did you get the idea for that scene? It was just so, um, it was so charged with emotion. Well, uh, fundamentally, I wanted to have kind of an origin story for William Snopes rather than have mm-hmm. him just come fully formed as a barrister, a mature barrister. Uh, and uh, and I thought that he was this my, my image of this character was somebody who had a really strong heart for those who were downtrodden, who couldn't afford legal representation, which was very much the norm back in the Regency period where this book is set. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and I, I thought that that would likely come from some personal experience. And in this case, it was the experience of his, his, his learning that his father had uh, uh, basically uh, had a child or had impregnated uh, the daughter of a tenant farm there. Uh, right. And, uh, so that was the that was the impetus for it. Uh, some of the details uh, of William Snopes's character at his young age, some came from just. I think we all draw on our own experiences, and and uh, some of yes. that came from personal experience, and some just imagination. Right. Okay. And I understand the, that this whole book was inspired by a true case. Can you tell me about that? Yes. So a lot of people have heard of Captain Kidd the pirate. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and he roamed the, the seas and he, uh, he actually, his historic uh, events t- occurred about a hundred years prior to the Regency period. Mm-hmm. But he also was uh, uh, acting, uh, he claimed under a letter of Mark in the, in the, particularly in the Indian ocean, but also in the Atlantic. And uh, he claimed that he had been supported by some investors who would help him acquire the letter of Mark from the crown. In any event, uh, the day came when he had returned to London and was charged with piracy. And when and in his case, uh, they asked him to. They, he claimed that there should be in the uh, Admiralty offices a copy of his letter of mark. And the uh, response was, "We don't find one." And so he was tried, and in his case, he was found guilty and was hung on the Thames. Mm. An interesting footnote to that true story is that. In the early 1900s, I want to say around 1917 or 18, his letter of mark was found misfiled in the Admiralty records. Oh, wow. So th- that's very interesting. I never heard all about that before. Mm-hmm. He, he, he had other crimes. It's quite possible, even if they'd had the letter of mark, he might have been found con- guilty of a capital crime anyway, because he had killed a, one of his crewmen. But uh, I always found that letter of Mark notion really fascinating. And that's why that was the inspiration for the book. Right. So how did you learn about that case and about the letter of Mark involved in that case? Well, I, I'm, I'm a student of history. I just love anything historic. And, and I've yes. read about the, the pirates of that period of the 16 and 1700s when they were quite mm-hmm. a scourge. Uh, and, uh, and I just came across that story in the midst of other readings. Wow. So why did you decide to set your mystery in the Regency period then? You know, you know I had written three contemporary uh, legal fiction novels prior to this, uh, two of them based on cases that, that I had handled uh, as a trial attorney. Mm. And, and I, but I thought, I, I, I so loved history that I thought I, I would just love to be able to kind of nudge my way into the historic, the history genre. Uh, and, and I thought, well, but where's my knowledge base, uh, other than my own independent study and reading it's, it's in, in the law. Mm-hmm. 
Right. So that, that started me down the road, uh, Allison, of thinking, well, can I combine those, those interests and backgrounds? And uh, that in turn led me to uh, think, well, if I'm going to have a barrister, which is what that implied, uh, where, do I, where do I put the barrister in history? And I, and I considered as recently as the 70s or 80s, uh, I, and I thought about uh, the, the uh, Victorian age. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of very interesting things going on in the Victorian age, including, of course, the Sherlock Holmes you know, era of the late uh, 1800s. Yes. But then I took a look at the Regency period. I got back to that far. And, and what was fascinating about the Regency period legally was that, uh, well, not just legally, but th- that was a time of tumultuous change in architecture and the arts. A lot of it supported by uh, the regency of the king or the, the prince who stood out, stood in as the regent. Um, he was fascinated by those areas and supported them, but mm-hmm. also in the law. Uh, there was a growing recognition that the, the whole uh, world of how prisoners were tried and incarcerated and punished uh, was seeming archaic. And, and eventually it led to some major legal changes in the, in the British system in the late 1820s and early 1830s. So I wanted to kind of catch that thread, but I wanted to catch it before the significant changes when things were, were kind of roiling. And uh, mm-hmm. when some judges were doing one thing and others were doing another, and, uh, and when there were still inequities uh, uh, that were pretty prominent. And so I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to have a, a, a attorney who's trying to um, navigate those waters on behalf of a uh, someone he believes is innocent? Right. That's interesting. There are so many ways you can play with play with it when there aren't like firm rules laid out. Right. Yes. Yeah. That was my feeling. So your book was published by Bethany House, and um, we know they're a Christian publisher. So how do you? weave kind of the Christian perspective or inspirational content into your story? You know, it, it's interesting, Allison, and uh, I don't know what your experience has been, but, uh, you know, I when I set out to write books, I, of course, knew I was going to be writing them from a, coming from a Christian perspective. Right. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't feel a heart for writing a more Pentecostal or, uh, or not Pentecostal, a more evangelical mm-hmm. uh, approach. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't feel like that was where I was, I was going to be able to write a good novel. Uh, mm-hmm. Not that I don't have belief, that's not, not that that is, is other than my belief system, but I just, I didn't feel like I wanted to write that book. So, right. so both in my, in my contemporary historic novels, but even more so here, I've tried to weave in a, the, the moral uh, a piece of this uh, pretty strongly into the lead character without making the point of the, uh, of the movement of the plot, you know, towards a, a particular event, um, coming to Christ or a particular healing event, that sort of thing. I've, I've frankly woven it in more subtly. Mm-hmm. Uh, on this case, in this book, uh, I, I introduced it by a character who is an Anglican priest, um, who, uh, has been, has been, and it, it's not all come out in this book, but I hope to have it come out in other future books. Uh, he was a mentor to, to William after he fled his father, having learned of his father's transgressions. Yes. And this, and this, uh, this priest kind of serves as his conscience uh, and can, can, kind of pulling him back from the precipice of doing whatever it takes to win in the litigation. And uh, so, uh, so he's, th- that's how I've tried to um, have that kind of touchstone throughout the book. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. How do you, can I ask how you address that issue, Allison? Well, I, I feel similarly to you that I don't want the book to be, I want it to be a story. And I believe mm-hmm. that, that the truth of the gospel will come through in organic ways in, instead yes. of just, I don't want it to be preachy or like um, attract, like one, two, three, here's how you get saved. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But Jesus spoke in stories. He told stories and not that our books need to be parables, but I think that the truth, since we as the author are, are Christians and we believe we have Jesus in our hearts, then the Holy Spirit works through us in what we write. Yes. And and the truth will will come out in that um whether we really are trying to put it out there or not. That that's very that's very close to the way I've approached it. I I, I thought I'm not gonna write a very compelling book if if basically it's it's formulaic to the point of you know, conflict, <laughs> problems, prayer, and then mm-hmm. being saved through the Holy Spirit. I, not that I don't believe that can happen and does happen, but sometimes it doesn't happen that way. Right. You know, it, and that doesn't mean our, we, our faith in God is any less. But, mm-hmm. uh, but so this, that's the way I approached it as well, Allison. I think very similarly to what you're describing. Yeah. Um, real life is messy. It's not always, yeah. it doesn't always follow the <laughs> the formula that we think it should. Yes. So what do you hope that readers will take away from your novel, aside from a good story? Well, first and foremost, and last, you know, a good story. Um, and I hope, I, I, uh, there, are, there are a number of things. Uh, one is, I hope they, co- they come away wanting more, because I would love to write some more William Snopes novels. Yeah. Uh, I spend a lot of time in the early state parts of, part of the book, developing quite a number of characters. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm. And that was... And, and spending some time trying to paint the picture of London in, the, in that period. And I'm painting it, I know, differently than mo- probably most other Regency authors, who, especially those in the romance genre, who are looking at a, a different you know, different angle, maybe a little bit more above the, the squalor that was also part of London. Mm-hmm. So um, long story short, I was trying to lay a foundation for being able to do more than one of these books. <clears throat> Uh, so, so that's one thing I'd like to believe. That, I'd like to hope that it leads to more books. Um, but I also that part of the takeaway I wanted was also the uh, a lot of people that aren't familiar with the litigation system um, it, that we have today in America probably don't appreciate how uh, that it's not it's not a science. Uh, it's a very, very. Uh, I've heard it described as a you know a, a mallet rather than a, you know, a surgical tool. And and that was true back then as much as it is today, and part of mm-hmm. so part of what I wanted to get and wanted to you know to create drama around this is just that the whole process of of uh, our trial system, while it is probably the best folks can come up with, is still uh, very much dependent on the skill of the of the uh, advocate on the just the mm-hmm. personalities involved in the judge and the jury and all that. I wanted to kind of have that Molstrom feeling. Uh, that, that that lends itself to uncertainty and and more drama. So, and, and finally, I really hoped that I could get to, that I would the description would be uh, sufficient to make people really feel like they were back in that time and had a had a sense of the streets and the people of that time. Yes, well, I think I think you do a really good job of that. Even in the opening scene, where you're talking about that William has this. Um, was it a symphony in the back of his yes. <laughs> his mind? I, I, and I, 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 yes. So 
I just thought it was interesting, you know, we, in modern times, you might mention the, you know, the rock music that's playing in the background or something like that. But, but the, that really made me think about, oh, this was, you know, I couldn't drag my teenage son to a, a hide in concert, but uh, <laughs> actually my son's not a teenager yet, but he will be in even right now. I couldn't drag him to that, that kind of concert, but that was what was being written then. That was the popular music. So yes, and it was- that was really well done. Well, it was a challenge, Allison, uh, too, because uh, and I and I and I missed the beat on one thing. I'm not going to tell people where it is, but um, <laughs> but there, but I, you know, I had to find not only I had to find composers who had composed mm-hmm. music, you know, prior to that time. I had to f- determine that it could have been played in in London so that mm-hmm. Stokes could have heard it. And I think I got it right in all the instances except one. I missed it by about five years. <clears throat> so <Uh-oh. laughs> I hate that. I hate it. <laughs> yeah. You always discover things like that after the fact and what can you do, right? Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned a little bit of your research and writing process, you know, spending the time on the characters ahead of time. And um, I just wondered if you could tell me a little more deeper about how you you research and what your writing process is like. Sure. I, I really am a stickler, despite the fact that people have found some errors and that breaks my heart every time they, they do. But mm. I really do. I enjoy the, the research process. And so I spent a lot of time at it before I started writing. Uh, and I got a number of books that I sort of felt were surveys of the period and of the, you know, the, legal, um, the legal landscape at the time. I wanted to understand the people that some of the, uh, there are um, a number of historically accurate people. I don't, I don't, obviously my novel deviates from their actual course of life, but I wanted to understand them and did they really fit into this period and their personalities. Um, And of course I wanted to understand the legal system uh, uh, as it, you know, as it pertains to uh, capital punishment and transportation. So anyway, bottom line is I bought probably about seven or eight books that I just read in their entirety to get that flavor. And then I, then I would dive in and try to get more, more pointed information, especially again about the legal system, architecture of the time. I had to run down maps of London. Allison, have you visited London? Have you been there? I have not. Well, it's a it's a really nice city, and I'm a lovely city. Yeah. I want to get back. My uh, husband, whose whose name is also Todd, incidentally, okay. um, he's he's been there. <laughs> oh yeah, but like a number of years ago. So I haven't okay. Been well, it's it's a but but it's also it's a, of course a huge city, and it's changed. Right. And whole neighborhoods, have, of course, disappeared in the last uh, 200 uh, years and so forth. So uh, so anyway, I needed to get map books. And I found one of the best sources of that, of some of that more pointed research, was were uh, PhD theses. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, poor, you know, poor graduate students are trying to find arcane information, you know, to support a, a unique and original thesis. So yeah. they'll have a whole thesis on... Uh, you know the the monetary system in the in the Regency period, or the uh, the type of ships that were sailed that, that were used for merchants' ships and the like. Wow. Um, and then I and I'm curious what if you of you have this experience too, Allison. As I get writing, I find, uh, well, my goodness, you know, I, I, somebody just picked up a gun. Say, uh, in a certain <laughs> what what kind of guns did they have? Did they have right. Did they have you know what? So I'm trying to get all those little details. Uh, you must go through some of that. I would. Oh, assume. absolutely. I yes, I have a harder time. 
I try to get research in ahead of time, but I find as I'm writing, then there are so many questions. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard not to get distracted and go down rabbit trails when you're trying to find the answers to your questions. So sure. usually I have to, um, you know, leave some kind of marker in the, in the actual manuscript, c- come oh. back to this and sure. And figure it out. What do you do? Uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, cause that, that makes sense. Cause I, I do get down the rabbit hole and I'll spend, you know, 30 minutes and I'll become an expert on the, <laughs> the hems of dresses in 1814, you know, uh, which, uh, and then you, you plug it in and you, and you go, but, um, uh, I was going to make a comment about that, but now it slipped my mind. Um, but, but I, you know, I, 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 oh, I know what I was going to say. I, I, I'm astonished. You know, I only started writing in around 2010. Right. And so, but, but I've had the advantage of the internet the entire time that I've been a writer. Yes. And I can and I can do this research, you know, when a, when an arcane point comes up, I can get it in 10 or 15 minutes. I've probably got a good answer. <clears throat> I wonder how in the world did authors do it, uh, you know, 100 years ago, 50 years ago. Uh, right. It took a lot more time, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the bottom line, yes. So you've mentioned a couple times that you have not always been a writer. You have been a practicing attorney. Um, attorney, yeah. Let me say that again. <laughs> you've been a practicing attorney for many years. So what drove you to start writing novels? I, I had always, and I've, I've, heard, I've read this in so many authors' backgrounds when I, when I read them. Um, I would have been writing since about fifth grade, uh, and, uh, and I just loved it. But then I got, kind of mm-hmm. got away from it, uh, mm-hmm. especially after college. When I, my parents probably wisely said, you know, you might want to get a job that you can actually you know, put food <laughs> on the table and maybe get an apartment, right. uh, little things. Uh, so they, they, and so I looked around for something that a, someone with a political science degree could do other than teach. And I landed on law. Mm-hmm. So I, I, so I practiced. Yeah. And, and the, the neat thing about law for me was I was a kind of a competitive guy. I'd uh, done athletics in high school and college and, uh, law, you know, is a, at least if you're in litigation <clears throat> is a very competitive thing. Mm-hmm. And, you can, you, and you have winners and you have losers, you know, it's a little bit like a, like a ball game. Right. So that, that was the, that was the field of law that I was drawn to. And then, so I practiced law from the, uh, really the early 1980s, right up until today, although I'm rapidly divesting myself of law so that I can write full time. Mm, wow. So then once you started writing, tell me about how you made your way to publication. That was kind of an interesting story. Uh, I think it's interesting anyway. Uh, I I had started, I was getting into my early 50s. And I realized, and I've been telling myself for probably 20 years that um, I I just got to write, I really want to write that novel. And next year, I'm going to write that novel. Mm. And years kept passing. And finally, I thought, well, I'm going to do this. If I'm going to really do it, I need to get started. So I I wrote up a, a few chapters of something and I sent it to a friend who happened to be an editor at Bethany house. And wow. I said, look, I'm not asking you to backdoor this or anything. I just want your assessment. Can I write? Do you think I can mm-hmm. write well enough for publication? Well, uh, actually it was, he was one of the publishers there and he passed it on to an editor who does, you know, evaluate fiction. Right. And that editor, and that editor came back to me, <clears throat> Allison, uh, through my friend. He didn't contact me directly, but he came back to me through my friend and said, uh, yeah, he, he's got some pretty good writing skills. Um, do you have any ideas for books you've ever thought about? And of course, I had ideas. Mm-hmm. I, and so I gave him 10 ideas, 10 different book ideas. 
uh, again, through my friend. And this is, you know, you can imagine this goes to my friend, goes to him, comes back probably about three weeks between communications, kind of like the Pony Express. Yeah. And, and he came back and said, uh, this one, the deposit slip. He liked that. He liked the sound. He said, give me 20 pages. So I, I did. And, and, uh, and he looked at it, came back and said, uh, kind of weak, but you know, give me 20 more. And he, he did this with me again, with weeks intervening between our communications <laughs> for about a mo- uh, nine months, 10 months. Wow. And finally he came back to me to again through my friend and said, uh, okay. Um, I was probably up to a hundred pages on this novel. Now. And he <laughs> said, give me 20 more, but I, and I want it in four months. And I responded very pretty quickly. And I said, I can have it to you in two weeks. You know, I was, I was getting excited here. And yeah. he got back to me and said, no, you don't understand. I want you to take four months because I want it to be the very best you can write. And I want you to have readers read it and do all, the, all that stuff. Mm. So I took the four months and I sent it to him again through my friend. And for the first time, I got a direct email back to me. And uh, the editor said, Todd, let's have lunch. And we did. We met for lunch. Uh, and uh, he said, we're going to publish your book. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, it took about a year, t- that whole process. So, you went directly <clears throat> through the publisher, no agent or anything. Correct. And, which, wow. Yeah, which I know is, I almost hate to tell writers that because, you know, it's <laughs> so, so rare and I was so fortunate. Uh, I mean, you, Can you, you introduce know. me to your friend? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if I mention his name, he's going to get inundated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you, you published through an agent the first time, I assume, Alice? No. I, oh. I have not, I do not have an agent right now. Okay. Um, and my first book was published with a small publishing house. Okay, so sure. I'm actually using my third manuscript to try to get an agent. So okay. <laughs> I'll right. let you know how that all works out. <laughs> we'll talk after this. After the podcast. Maybe, maybe I'll just go make friends with a publisher instead. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it happens that way very often. No. No. So what are you working on now? Can you tell us about that? You mentioned that you want to do more about um, William. Yes. I've got, I've got a, a sequel that I've been gnawing on here. This, the idea uh, for the William Snopes novel. Uh, and I'm just about got the idea honed in enough to start doing my, my kind of la- my research that I need to do to start writing. So I, I'd like to do a sequel. I mean, I'd love to do a series if I could get enough interest in the, in the book. And then, but in the meantime, before I wrote the William Snopes book, I wrote an historical uh, novel about uh, Ernest Hemingway, set in oh. uh, in the nineteen early nineteen sixties, shortly before his death, mm. uh, with the notion that uh, Hemingway learns before the United States intelligence services learned that uh, the Russians had shipped uh, nuclear missiles to Cuba. Oh but, wow! But he's unable to inform the FBI or CIA because for two reasons. One is he, and this is actually accurate, had his own contacts with Soviet and Cuban intelligence. Uh, he kind of dallied with them, kind of promised him he'd give him information. He never did, but he promised him. That's, I've seen the records on that, the uh, released records on that. And so mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, the notion in the book is that both because of his sort of sordid past, but also because a young girl that he befriended has been captured by the Cuban intelligence services, and they're using her essentially as a hostage for Hemingway's silence. They they don't feel they can kill Ernest Hemingway given his prominence, but they're so it's yeah. it, his his efforts to try to rescue this girl and uh, and alert the United States about this threat. Wow! So, is that book under contract then? 
It's not. I in, I wrote it. Uh, I completed it, and this and I use that book. Not I do have an agent now, uh, Dupree okay. Miller. I, I use that book to to uh, get an agent, and mm-hmm. they circulated it back in 2020. And I am I uh, was sad to find I could not find a publisher for it. I I think the word that we kept getting back was that they weren't publishing anything right before the presidential election and the nature of fiction. Oh so, yeah. So I so I pulled it back. Then wrote the William Snopes book, and now I'm uh, I'm revising the Hemingway book. Uh, I hope to have it done here by December and get it back in the hands of my agent. Okay. Um, so, what gave you the idea for that? Is there suspicion that he did know about what? What really what what got me going on that, Allison? Is, is that it, what is known is that he, uh, of course, he had some some uh, experiences in Spain with the communists. Mm-hmm. He was very much uh, sympathetic to the communist cause in during the uh, the uh, fighting in Spain before World War II, and uh, and when he went to Cuba. He was a fan of of Castro as well. Yes, uh, and and uh, so then I learned that he, in fact, uh, it's it's documented from the Soviet uh, records that have been released released in the nineties that he met with uh, some of the top uh, Soviet handlers and promised that he would provide get them information. Now it, wow. from, it all it appears there's no information as to whether he actually ever did it. Uh, there's a, there's actually a, 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 a nonfiction book called I think it's called Soldier Sailor Spy uh, about Hemingway and it, it mm. details this. Uh, so in any case, he he certainly was kind of dallying with this stuff, and I, and I also it was also clear from what I've read that he had become very paranoid, and this may have, part of this may have been physiological because he had some illness uh, late in his life, but he was yes. very paranoid that the FBI. CIA and the IRS were out to get him. So I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if, uh, you know, he was in that kind of quandary, uh, it, it, the, those pressures and, and problems uh, at about, about the time that he discovered this information and uh, doesn't feel he can convey it to the United States. Hmm. That's interesting. Wow. I hope that you do end up publishing that because... I'd like to read it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you. Well, I, hope to, I hope to have it out, out in another, uh, or at least in the, as I said, in my agent's hands by December. <clears throat> See what right. happens from there. Right. And then you'll start on the next William Snopes book. Yes. Yeah. Have you ever tried to, I, I, this, this is a genuine question. <clears throat> have you ever tried to write more than one book at a time? Just because of circumstances? No, I hear authors talking about how they're, I don't know. I don't know how they do this, but they edit one book while they're drafting the next one. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I just find myself so immersed in that one book until it's really finished that I find that very difficult. Sure. So I guess yeah. you can do whatever you're forced to do. If you, if you have things <laughs> under contract, yeah. <laughs> you have to get them out. Do you, can I ask a uh, kind of a corollary to that is, uh, do you, do you have a goal as to how many books you want to produce in a certain time period? Right now, I don't. So my first book came out eight years ago, and I then proceeded to have my third baby and start homeschooling my kids. Oh my goodness! And so I did not. I didn't follow up very quickly because of that. And then when I did, I just, I just found it really hard to write a sequel. And actually, every time I've sat down to try to write a sequel to my first book, I have struggled. It's like beating my head against a wall. And so I moved on. I wrote, actually wrote a prequel about one of the characters from my first book. Hmm. And it's, it's a very good book, but um, 
given the market right now, I was not able to interest an agent with that book. So I wrote another one, which is a time slip. And that is what I'm using right now. But I think that due to discouragement, (laughs) I, I have, I've struggled a lot in, in the past year and I'm sure, you know, 2020 played into that as well. Sure. So I have not, I have ideas, but I haven't started on the next book. I'm writing, I'm working on shorter projects Mm-hmm. in the hopes of getting smaller things published okay. um, and, and hoping that will help with opening the doors to agents. And okay. um, however, I mean, I guess I see myself producing a book a year once this is once, once I have an agent, a publisher and um, I know that people produce more than that. I'm not sure how I, I <laughs> imagine that once my kids are grown, it might, might be easier. <laughs> I don't know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, but that won't be for a while. So, well, and the reason I asked the question is because I've felt my first book, I was, it came out in 2012 and I had one already in the, you know, kind of shaped, it came out the next year, but then I didn't publish again until 2017. Mm. And then this most recent book came out in 2021. And I've been curious because I do sense, and I, I say this with envy, that there are so many authors out there that they get this rhythm going and they're pouring out a book every nine months to a year. And I think, boy, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I think it it depends on how much history you have in your book. So I, I'm interviewing a lot of historical fiction authors. Um, your book, I think, I have not read the whole thing. I, mm-hmm. I Because I interview so many authors, it's hard to read all the books that come my way. But um, it seems to me that it's more involved the his the historical content is more involved than some of the authors who push out you know more than a book a year um with them sometimes it's just and i'm not i'm not saying across the board it's this way i'm not trying to you know judge all historical romance authors or anything like that but some of them it's you know the romance is the story it's just the backdrop is history um so i think that's a little bit of a quicker type of book to write than something that is so based on history. Um, You know, but also I do think there is a rhythm. You have, there's definitely something to what you're saying about there being a rhythm. Um, People just, I mean, everybody's different. Also, some people write faster and the more you do it, the faster you're going to write. Sure. Um, And if you have that deadline, (laughs) that makes a big difference for me. (laughs) Yeah. If somebody else actually cares whether you're going to get your word count in, <laughs> then yeah. that makes a difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is a question I ask all my guests. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? That's a really, really good question. I think that, uh, first of all, you know, I, it's, it's obvious that the, the very word history is, you know, his story and, uh, and I, I think any um, anything. First of all, I think history is is just terribly interesting because it's just a series of interwoven stories, uh, uh, and uh, that's that's why I was always was drawn to it. Uh, I guess mm-hmm. and maybe if I'm understanding your question fully, Allison, uh, clearly anything that gets uh, a person, and particularly a young person, to pick up a, a to, to pick up a book and read and learn something about historic um, events, yes. I think is a good thing because I'm a huge believer in in the the how much wisdom you you draw out of just the 
the, the successes and particularly the failures of the past. And, and, and it's just fascinating to learn about too and mm-hmm. see how, and see how people, uh, you know, especially you, you, when you, as you read about people who just failed, 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 and then, you know, <laughs> then they succeeded. Uh, so, uh, so if, if, if it, Again, I, I'm a lover of nonfiction history, so I can pick up those books readily and, right. and be lost in them. But there are other people that aren't, and they're they're mm-hmm. going to be looking for a more you know, poignant drama or more uh, uh, fast moving events. Then you know, then use then then get your history uh, dosage, you know, from uh, from non from fiction. And this is that's why, as I said earlier, it breaks my heart when when any when somebody comes back and said, "Aha, you know, I caught you." This yeah. event is actually three because because I want people to be comfortable in my in the book that they they are in a safe environment in the sense that everything around them is not not the story plot itself but that the 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 place is real and the mm-hmm. things that they're learning about the history of that time are, are real and uh, and I really stri- strive to do that uh, not a hundred percent successfully but am I am I kind of speaking around your question or am I answering your question, Allison? Um, I think you're answering it. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it also speaks to nonfiction history because there are, I'm, I'm not sure, like the story part is what draws us into it. Yes. So what I'm curious about is always, we, we are really, we're, um, we are really drawn to history and to the stories in, that are already in history. And then the stories that we as authors, as authors of historical fiction, we create stories within that historical context also. But I think that we can learn so much from history yes. that, that will affect our choices and, and what we believe about what's going on right now. Oh, I, you know, I absolutely do. And I, and I get, there are times <clears throat> and I, you know, there, there are areas that I know nothing about. Okay. And I, I know a little bit about history. And so when I'm talking to somebody and some top, you'll be talking about some topic and you'll say, well, you know, we shouldn't be too surprised that event occurred in the 1870s or not. <laughs> and I, and I say that not to sound like a know-it-all, but, but I'm, I'm, it's a little, you want everybody to say, you want people to know, Hey guys, this has happened before and we can draw lessons right. from that. Uh, we really can how to, how to get through it. And, and, and that's not a path we want to go down over here, for example, because darn it, they tried that in the in the twenties, and it just didn't work. So I, I just, yeah, I think I wish that everybody could be uh, could love history as much as you and I do, and want to learn those things because I think they're terribly important for us. Yes, yes, and I think that's why writing historical fiction is so important too, because it does bring it to a wider audience yes. that maybe wouldn't pick up that what they see as a dry yeah. book about history. I think that's true. Uh, I hope it's true. Yes. So Todd, this has been a wonderful conversation. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? Well, I have a website at uh, author Johnson.com. Uh, we have a newsletter that, that uh, I, I put out about a quarterly. Uh, it was, was for a while once a month, but a quarterly. And, and of course I have a presence on Instagram and Facebook as well. Great. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Well, my friends, I am sure that you enjoyed that conversation. It was just fascinating. I'm going to be completely upfront and tell you that I did not get to finish Todd's book, not because I didn't want to, but just 
you know, life got in the way of that. But my nephew and my father both read it and loved it. So um, that's one that I want to get back to. And you guys should too. You can find Todd's book and his website and his um, social media accounts through the show notes, which are either in your podcatcher app, or you can always find them on my website at alisontreat.com slash blog. So make sure you visit the show notes to get all that information. So my friends, as usual, I'm going to leave you with a quote. This one comes from Edmund Burke. In history, a great volume is unrolled for our instruction, drawing the materials of future wisdom from the past errors and infirmities of mankind. So my friends, keep reading historical fiction and learning about history, and I will talk to you again next week. 